Good morning. Welcome to Regina Apostolic Church Online. It's good to be with you today whenever you're watching this. My name is Larry Moore. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I'm thankful for an opportunity to share the Word of God with you today. I'm going to talk to you about the manifest presence of the Lord and how it comes about as a result of the prayers of God's people. Prayer, in some people's mind, is a dusty relic from the past. It's a religious exercise. It's got no life to it. It's a ritual. And it doesn't lend itself to anything that has any life to it. But the truth is, if you're a person that prays, you know that it's an up-to-date, living, powerful tool that the Lord uses to invoke His presence and His will into our lives on a daily basis. Matthew 18 says in verse 9, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Ian Bounds was a great writer uh, on the subject of prayer. And he said this, he said, The prayers of God's saints are the capital stock in heaven by which Christ carries on his great work on earth. We're in danger of substituting church work and a ceaseless round of showy activities for prayer and holy living. A holy life does not live in the prayer closet, but it cannot live without it. Those are good words. Ian Bounds. Ezekiel 36, 36 says, Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord, speaking to Israel. I've rebuilt the ruined places. I've replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Then he says something very interesting. He says, thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock. The will of the Lord, you see, is brought about and is brought to pass by the prayers of God's people. If Regina Apostolic Church is going to be all that it can be, if I'm going to be all that I can be, if you that are listening to me today are going to be all that you can be, we need to be found faithful in his sight as people of prayer. We can't substitute anything for that. There's nothing that can take its place. There's nothing that makes difference like prayer does. Many times, due to the very blessings that have come about through previous prayers of some of our ancestors that have been answered, we find ourselves living with a casual attitude towards our need to pray. It's kind of an ironic thing when you think about it. We sometimes get satisfied with our lives and with things the way they are instead of praying for his will to be done because the, the answers to the prayers of our ancestors have actually brought us to a place of blessing. Sometimes that blessing gets in the way. This January, our church is going to be focusing on prayer and fasting over a period of three weeks. And we encourage you to be involved with us on that. There'll be more about that to come. I believe one of the greatest things we can seek after in that prayer time is the manifest presence of God himself, both in our lives and in our corporate gatherings. His presence is signified by his favor, his pleasure, and his blessings on his people. I encourage you to consider taking part in that. Let's talk a little bit about the manifest presence of the Lord. Not to be confused with the omnipresence of God, the doctrine that states that God is everywhere all the time. This is spoken about in Psalms 139, verse 7, where it says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That's the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere and he's there all at the same time. That's not what this is about. 
His presence also expresses itself to everyone on an individual basis prior to salvation by the Holy Spirit as he convicts us of sin in our life. It says in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage I go away. This is Jesus speaking. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit surrounds those who don't know Christ as Savior. And he did that for all of us that do know Christ as Savior. And he convicts us of our sin prior to salvation. Then the presence of the Lord is also found in us when we become a Christian. We know that's the case, extending again in John 14, verse 15. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then Jesus said this, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper, the helper is another term for the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. He said, you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. That's another example of the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then there's another example of the presence of God found when we're filled with the Spirit. And as Pentecostals, we know that one quite well. Acts 1.8, Jesus' promise to the disciples was that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And he said as a result that they would be witnesses to him in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So that same Holy Spirit has three separate relationships with us. Same Holy Spirit, different relationships. Before we're a Christian, it surrounds us for conviction. When we're a Christian, he comes and dwells within us at salvation. And upon being filled with the Spirit, he's poured out upon us for the power to share our faith. Now, these are all examples of the expressions of the presence of God showing himself to us individually. But finally, there's a promise of the presence of God that comes into a corporate setting when two or three are gathered together. Same Holy Spirit, different relationship again. Matthew 18 and verse 19 says, Again, I say to you, if two or three on earth agree as touching anything that they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is what I call the manifest or obvious or corporate presence of God. When that same presence is in the midst of more than one person and everyone in that particular uh, example, that corporate example, are experiencing an understanding, a sense that he is with us. We experience this when we gather together. The Holy Spirit can manifest or show himself through an intense sense of his presence. Sometimes, sometimes in some revivals, it's really, really obvious, and other times, Everybody still knows that he's there, but it's very, very, uh, it's almost like it's a very holy moment, very quiet, and it doesn't seem to have the same intensity in terms of being boisterous or anything like that. So there's a number of scriptures uh, that speak specifically of God displaying himself in this way. I just want to run through a few of them with you. Matthew, or sorry, the book of Psalms chapter 22 and verse 3 says, but you are holy, you that inhabit the praises of of Israel. That's in the King James Version. And what it's talking about when it says inhabit is to sit down amongst. So when we worship the Lord here, I'm sure it happens in heaven as well, but when we worship the Lord in our church, when we worship the Lord as a group, in fact, it happens even when you worship the Lord as an individual. You have a promise in Psalms 22, verse 3 that says, He will inhabit those praises. He'll actually come and sit down amongst them. Acts 2, 1, 4, we know that this is the case in the day of Pentecost because it said they were all together in one place 
there was a, a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled, the wind and the sound filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided or cloven tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, what you need to understand in this is that this sense of the presence of God was sensed by everybody in that particular room. There were physical manifestations that went along with it on that particular day. It didn't happen every time. In that particular day, it did. There was a physical manifestation of a tongue of fire that other people could see that, was, that, that just kind of sat on top of people. There was the manifestation of the sound. There was the manifestation of the wind. Uh, and all of that happened in there in the midst of the upper room, as it was called, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. That's an example of the manifestation of the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 says, And my speech and my message, this is Paul speaking to the church, were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Paul the Apostle, although he wasn't in the upper room, he knew everything there was to know about the manifest presence of God, that God would come down amongst a group of people and minister to them in a powerful way. Now, there are churches today that feel we shouldn't put any emphasis on anything that might produce an emotion in our lives during worship or during our services because it's as if we are not able to handle those emotions or we may get off track. Uh, and and that's, a, that's, that's a possibility. I've been in churches where that's happened. There's others that feel that the potential of excess in the flesh is reason enough not to seek after his manifest presence. There are many who use the scripture that speaks of doing things decently and in order out of context and use it as a reason to stop any example of the manifest presence of God. And finally, there are those who believe that the revelation of the Father's presence ceased to literally exist in this context once the canon of scripture came together. They're known as cessationists. I'm not one of those people. Regina Apostolic Church is not one of those churches. We believe that all of, the, all of the manifest presence of God that we can get, we're looking for. We want to see that happen. And it's not for the purpose of an emotion. It's not for the purpose of an experience. It's for the purpose of sitting in his presence and being changed by that same manifest presence. This is why Jesus came to the earth in the first place. To open the door for us to be with the Father. Not just in a legal context, but in an experiential context. Whether it tweaks our emotions or not. Jesus came to this earth to join us together with his Father. That's why the veil was rent from the top to the bottom so we could go into the holiest place in the tabernacle and commune with our Father. And I can tell you that in the midst of that context that there was a great deal of a sense of the manifest presence of God. This is why Jesus said he had to leave so the Holy Spirit could come to lead us into all truth. And one of those truths is the fact that the Holy Spirit wants to manifest himself in our midst. There's no question I shouldn't allow my emotions to guide my walk with Jesus more than the truth of the word of God. Absolutely the truth. But none of this means we shouldn't seek his presence to be in our midst. And if something does happen to be uh, maybe a little bit out of line or a little bit fleshly, if you want to use that term, however you want to describe it, good leadership can pastor that in a local church so it doesn't get out of line and people can grow into the disciples that the Father's called them to be. 
if there was ever a church that went off the deep end when it comes to the flesh as an example, uh, or emotion or excess, it was a church in Corinth. They were the most whacked example of a local church in the New Testament that I can find. They were doing prophecy wrong. They were doing interpretation of tongues wrong. They were doing communion wrong. Everything was just off the grid. And Paul couldn't get to the church. And so he wrote a couple of letters to them. And as he wrote to them, the, the strangest thing that occurred to me is the fact that he never told them to shut down that worship piece and the prophecy piece or anything like that. In fact, he encouraged them not to forbid others to prophesy. And he trained them in, their, in his letters to the church in Corinth as to how they're actually do it. Why would he do that? If that were me and I was in Paul's place, I would probably have told them, you shut it down, don't meet again. You guys go home and just be in your homes and don't do anything like this until such time as I'm able to get there and clean this mess up. Why do you think Paul decided, no, I'm just going to instruct them by letter? Because of the value of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their midst. It was too valuable to say, don't do this. It was more important for him to instruct them how to do it correctly than it was to pull back and for them seemingly to be safe. It's not unusual to use our emotions when worshiping God. David was a good example of that. On any given Sunday, this is what we don't understand or we don't give any credit for. And in every given, any given Sunday, there is excess in every service, in every church, right across the country in the nation of Canada. We've just grown used to the flesh. We've grown used to the excess. And we've formalized it so we're comfortable with it. It may not come in worship. We've maybe nailed that down so it's not possible for that to happen. And emotions are not allowed to have their place if that's one part of the manifest presence of God in terms of my reaction to him. Uh, we've just done it in such a way that that's not allowed. But the truth of the matter is, there's excess in everything. There's flesh potentially in everything that we do because we're fallen creation. And we need to be careful not to outcast, or treat as an outcast what the Lord wants to do in our midst just because of the chance that maybe it won't be done exactly as we feel that it should be done. We've taken the concept, of, as I said, of decently in order, totally out of context as a way of keeping some things away so we don't have to deal with it. Now, I believe in doing things decently in order. I just think the decently in an order piece is different uh, depending on the church that you attend. This church, Regina Apostolic Church, is a Pentecostal church. We believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for today, based out of the initial outpouring found in the book of Acts chapter 2, which preceded that was promised by Joel in the book of Joel chapter 2. This outpouring was not simply a means to an end until the canon of scripture was completed and then it was no longer required. We believe it was put in the book as the plan of God for the church. It didn't just start the church. It's the power by which the Holy Spirit would pour through us for the church to continue in the world that we live in today. There are some people whose lives have been changed as they walk into church in the midst of God pouring out his spirit on us and their lives have been totally changed just because they sense the presence of Jesus, just because they sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. Often even before the word is preached, not to negate the word, just giving you examples of the experience that I've had when God has manifest himself in our midst. That doesn't take the place of the word, nor does the preaching of the word take the place of his spirit. They're to be in tandem. John chapter 4, 20, verse 23 says, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I believe we're called to worship God in spirit and in truth with our heart and with our head, with our emotions and with our mind. I don't think you can leave one of those tandems out. Our heart in this is to seek Jesus, not to simply look for an experience or an emotion or a feeling. Our heart is that when we worship him in spirit and in truth and we experience an emotion or a feeling, we won't simply cast it away, but we'll consider it through the word as a potential means that the spirit might use to confirm his presence with us. There's obviously some emotions that are, that are invalid in the context of worship. But that doesn't mean that we throw the worship out just because there's the presence of the emotion there. Our desire as a church is that the Lord would come, hear me now, and he would sit down amongst us. There's nothing like walking into church to know the Lord's already taken a seat with us. Nothing like that whatsoever. That's the desire of Regina Apostolic Church, that God would come, that his manifest presence would be strong and real in our midst, that he would be glorified and Jesus would be lifted up, that his presence would be in the house in such a way that people's lives could be changed like that in an instant without anybody touching them. I'm not saying that that's not the way it happens sometimes. Of course it is. But I've watched as people's lives have been changed dramatically just because they're sitting in his presence. It's powerful. And if he's as real as we say he is, then that would be his desire. He would want to walk amongst us and heal us and encourage us and be with us. Our desire, as I said, is that the Lord would come and sit amongst us. And as long as I'm pastor here, very similar to all of the pastors before me, I will pastor how this operates in our midst. I will be careful that this is done in accordance with the will of God and the word of God. I'll be careful to make sure that this is a safe place but that his presence is allowed to have his way. His presence brings healing and salvation, brings deliverance, it brings good gifts. The presence of Jesus, the manifest presence of God, brings peace, fullness of joy, purpose, and fulfillment amongst us. I encourage you, whether you're part of this church or not, that you would start this new year that's coming up, even before this new year, Asking God to manifest his presence in your midst and to be real to you so that you could be used by him in a greater way you ever thought possible. He wants to hang out with you. Jesus wants to hang out with you. Invite him. Invite him. I'm, I'm married to, a, uh, to my wife, Sandra, of 41 years plus. I don't carry around my, my marriage license as an example of the presence of Sandra with me. I want to be with her in the flesh. I want to be with her in the flesh, and, and I want her presence to be with me. Jesus, although he said in his word that this was his promise, we can actually invite him to come and his presence to be manifest in our midst here and now in this day, 2021. My encouragement to you is that you'd ask the Lord to do that for you. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take this word and impact our hearts with it. And I ask, most importantly, that you would make us hunger for your presence. And not be so concerned what that looks like. You'll keep us safe. You said in your word to the disciples that if we ask for a loaf of bread, 
that you won't give us a stone. As, as a heavenly father, you would do much greater than that. You're, of course you're not going to do that. As an earthly father, we wouldn't do that. How much less would you do that? So when we ask you for your presence, we know that that's what you'll give us. We trust you, Lord. We trust your word in that. May you bless us this day. May we wake up in the morning and may we go to bed at night with a sense of your presence lingering around us. We'll be careful to thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks very much for listening. God bless. If we can be of any help as a church, please get in touch with us. God bless.